Afternoon, everybody. I'm so sorry I'm not with you today. I love our 4pm. I love it when we gather together, we worship, we get a glimpse of what God's doing amongst us, and we eat cake and catch up with one another and see who's around. So I'm really sorry not to be uh, with you, but as you probably know, I have got COVID. Who knew people still get COVID? Apparently I do. And um, I, I blame Sarah for having it. Not that she gave it to me. She's perfectly fine. Uh, so you can all relax. Um, but um, I messaged her yesterday saying, oh, I'm just not feeling 100%, so I, I may not just distribute communion at our, at our 11 a.m. And she said, oh, maybe you've got COVID in a very excitable manner. Um, and um, I thought, gosh, yeah, maybe I'll, I'll do a test. And I found a test from back in the day. You remember those tests that we, uh, some more than others, used to do religiously. And um, anyway, I've got COVID. So I'm going to do my five days isolation. So I think I'm out and about later on uh, uh, this week, which will be wonderful. So I'm finding myself a little cold, as you can hear, but like, you know, whatever. I'm, I'm, I'm okay. But thankfully, um, I did a test because I really didn't want to put anyone at risk, particularly at our four and our eleven. And at eleven, we had kind of more older people join us because we were united service with the other Anglican churches. So gutted to have missed the whole day, really. But there you go. But what I really want to talk about today is our passage, and the passage was John chapter two. And if you remember, um, um, John's gospel is slightly different from Matthew, Mark and Luke. It's got his own kind of way of writing. Um, it recalls its own stories. It, it, it kind of portrays Jesus in a slightly different way. It opens with this great kind of um, assertion of the incarnation of God becoming flesh, where Mark kind of like kind of builds up to it. And so does Matthew and Luke. But it's this great kind of opening kind of overture of John's gospel. And then one of the first things Jesus does is he goes to a wedding. Isn't that interesting? He goes to a wedding. Now, considering that Jesus would never get married, he had kind of like this amazing grace to enjoy things that other people experience that he knew he would never experience himself. That always just fascinates me. I think, oh, what a lovely, uh, a graceful man to have been around, you know. And, um, you know, I don't know about you, but sometimes we get jealous when um, people can do things that we can't do and what have you. And so, um, you know, like be taller for me or something like that. But actually, Jesus had this kind of amazing grace. <laughs> How sweet that sound. Um, that enabled him to kind of enjoy situations, even though he may not necessarily have that personal experience. Anyway, so we have Jesus at our wedding, at our wedding, at the wedding in Cana. And it's the seventh day in the opening of John's gospel. As you recall, there are six days and this is the seventh day. And so we get in a glimpse, aren't we? It begins with echoes of Genesis and it moves to the seventh day, a day of rest in Genesis and a day of celebration and party and lots of wine drinking in John's gospel. It's a beautiful opening. But before I kind of look at the passage in a few details, I just want to acknowledge a couple of things. The first is, I recognise when we talk about a wedding, uh, for some of us, um, actually, we, we it's, a, it's a bit um, emotionally difficult, actually, because perhaps some of us want to have got married and we haven't got married. For, for others, it's a kind of sense of relief because we were married once and now we're not. And we're like, thank God for that. We got out of that one. Um, but a genuine point is actually for others, I really want to recognise this in our congregation, in our context, is that while the bishops have made some progress with the blessing of same-sex marriages and same-sex relationships, um, still it's not able to, uh, haven't passed the kind of legislation, as it were, in Synod to enable people the same sex to get married in churches. That's what we hope and pray for one day. And uh, that's what I want. And I'm sure you, you all know that. But I just want to acknowledge that before I get into uh, the passage. So with all that in mind, uh, I'm going to tell you a little bit about my wedding day. So Esther and I married... Um, a while ago. Um, um, so someone have to do the mass. 2002. I remember it because I had, um, you know, it's 
2002 or something like that. So 2002, so we've been married uh, longer than you think, haven't we? Yeah, there we, are. we got married then. And I um, had a fantastic day, brilliant day. And um, and uh, we kind of like, we were we, when we got married, you didn't have photos on digital. You like had like photo albums and things like that. Yeah, it was that long ago um, for anyone like Nathan's age and Sarah's age. It was that long ago. And so um, so we've got this photo album that we kind of, every now and again, we have a little look at it. Oh, remember that day? And I always think Esther looks so beautiful and I just look sort of odd, really, and a bit tubby and whatever. And I just think, how on earth? did that happen? How did, how did Esther, why did she marry me? But anyway, thankfully she did. So, so we looked through it and here's the really fun thing is that um, our church in London that we planted, so it was Esther and I and a mate of ours called Jeff. Three of us, we started this church in Streatham and it grew, we were there for seven years and it grew to about 120, 150, that sort of number, 20 nationalities. It was brilliant. We absolutely loved it, but it's full of characters, full of um, um, people who, um, you know, you, you, you just want to keep an eye on, as it were. But that's kind of what we really enjoyed and we thought church was about. So when we look through these photos, we kind of remember some of these and some of those characters have passed away and others are still with us. We're like, oh, remember them. And, you know, it's lovely to have a look. But there's one person on our, in our photo album. We don't know who he is. He is there nearly in every photo, like photo bombing before it was a thing. And we have, to this day, no idea who he is. So we think maybe he was a cousin of somebody. We don't know. But he just kind of turned up. It was very, very bizarre, but he clearly enjoyed the day and, you know, came along, enjoyed the, the, the food and the fireworks we had after in this kind of old house. And so there you go. So we just don't know who, who he is, really. It'd be fascinating to find out one day. But I, that he came uninvited. But I've often thought with this passage, why was Jesus at this wedding? Now, it's really kind of obvious, really. But, but you think, you know, Jesus had a mission. He was like proclaiming the end times. He was like trying to sort things out. He was bringing God's kingdom on earth. He had, he had things to do. He wasn't going to be hanging about at a wedding, faffing about, you know, can't, you know when are we going to eat? All those sorts of um, ang- anxious moments you have at a wedding day. Gosh, it's taking forever, this food, isn't it? No, but, but Jesus had bigger things to do. Yet he was at the wedding. He was simply there because the text says he was invited. It's as simple as that. Jesus was invited to the wedding, so he came along. Now, can you remember a couple of weeks ago when we looked at John's Gospel that we noted that when John writes stuff, he means it like in a double, triple meaning way. So I don't mean that in a kind of weird way, kind of like, (coughs) you know, he's trying to like, I don't know, make a point but can't quite bring himself to say it. I mean it in a really cool way that actually he's trying to kind of hint at things all the way through his Gospels for our own spiritual life and our own spiritual well-being. And the key thing that John wants us to get from this text at the start, and we look at something else in a moment, is simply this, to invite Jesus into our lives. Invite Jesus into the good times in our lives and invite Jesus into the challenges that we face when the wine runs out. Now, it's really interesting. William Barclay says this, and I don't know if Dave can magic it on the screen at the same time. You never know. He does those sorts of things. But William Barclay says this about this passage. He says, Every story of Jesus tells us not of something Jesus did once and never again, but of something which he is forever doing. He is forever doing. John tells us not of things that Jesus once did in Palestine, but the things he still does today. What he's saying is this, is that what Jesus did in Water into Wine and what he did it because he was invited to that wedding, that same principle carries on throughout our lives. So a really simple question to all of us today is, Old school, 
Are we, have we, continually inviting Jesus into our lives, inviting him to some of the challenges that we face, inviting him to some of the good times that we face and celebrations? Or have we got to that stage where kind of like either like, well, you know, we've done this Christianity for a while. I just kind of trust God is omnipotence and he's big and God's going to be there. So it would kind of work out. Or have we lost some of that intimacy, that sort of engagement of realising actually you know what, when have I set time aside and, and, and prayed about this? When have I actually said, Jesus, I really need your help with this matter. I'm desperate for you. Now, sometimes those prayers are answered. Sometimes they're not. We all know that. We've been around it long enough. But actually, it's the point of saying that somehow we want Jesus's presence with us. You know, an old friend of mine, Ken McGreevy, used to say this, that God doesn't always answer our prayers how we like them to. But he always gives us more of his presence. And that's the promise of Jesus, that though he may not always answer how he want, he does <coughs> promise his presence. So my simple question is this afternoon, and perhaps it will lead into a bit of response, that actually, are we continually inviting Jesus into every aspect of our lives? The challenging moments, the good moments, are we, are we inviting Jesus or are we just still kind of relying on Google to get us out of every situation? That's the first thing John wants to get. Now I want to move on to the second thing. And I'm just going to do it over there, just in the corner of the room. See you in a bit. The second thing I just want to bring out from this passage is a really simple thing, is looking at the role of Mary. Now, for some of us from kind of evangelical free church backgrounds, we're like, oh, Mary, oh, we're not sure, we're all, we're all going Catholic. Well, the Anglican Church is a bit Catholic, actually, but and that's a whole other um, subject for another time. But I want to really kind of focus in on Mary. And what she does here is fascinating. So she doesn't often speak in the Gospels. And um, in John's Gospel, she has a particular role to play. And I, I think that's really interesting, just as an aside. I don't know if you remember, at the end of John's Gospel, when Jesus is on the cross, he entrusts Mary to John, the beloved disciple, who we think possibly wrote this gospel. And so, you know, my imagination, sometimes I wonder, gosh, I wonder how many of these thoughts and ideas and stories come from Mary and how many come from Jesus. It's just a, uh, from John rather, it's just a quite an interesting uh, little kind of thought for, for us all to, to kind of go along with. But here we've got Mary and she plays such a key role in this story. And she does it on a number of levels. But the key thing I want us to grasp is this, is that Mary exercises true leadership. Mary exercises true leadership. Jesus does a little bit, but it's really that Mary that kicks off the whole thing, which is why a lot of people, you know, as an aside, pray to Mary, not saying you should, because she sort of intercedes on our behalf as the theory goes and gets access to Jesus. But anyway, let's not go there. Steady on. Um, I know. I know. Um, anyway. Anyway. So the point is this is that she exercises leadership and she does it in a really beautiful and simple way. And she does it by saying this. She said, we've run out of wine. <clears throat> she notices what the problem is. And it is a practical problem. It's not an ethereal problem. It's not a doctrinal problem. It's not like, oh, we've got real problems. We can't work out the nature of Jesus or whatever like that. Or, you know, oh, how does the Trinity work? One plus one plus one equals three. Oh, but one times one times one times one equals one, doesn't it, Sarah? And all that lot. So anyway, so the point is, it's a real practical problem. And leadership is exercised over practical problems, not just quite great big ideas and working things out, but it's practical things where you need leadership in order to step in and make things happen and here's the great thing about Mary is that what she does is one of the key roles of leadership which is 
She defines the problem. She defines the reality. And it's simple. It's we've run out of wine. We haven't got any more wine. Now, you know, Mary cared that the guests that perhaps she wasn't even kind of related to, we don't know, didn't have enough wine. No, I like Mary, don't you? You like that kind of person. But do you know what? No one else cared. Nobody else was saying we've run out of wine. Probably everyone else was thinking, who cares about them? I've, I've had my bit of wine. Who cares about Fred, whoever Fred is? He's not had enough wine. But Mary cared. So real leadership isn't just about this kind of your vision, your strategy and all that jazz. It's actually caring practically for people. Mary cared that not everybody was going to have enough wine. And so she wanted to do something about it. And Mary steps up to the mark, tells Jesus they've run out of wine and starts to address the problem. And then she says to them, whatever Jesus tells you to do, just do it. I mean, that's kind of a way to live life, isn't it? She had already nurtured Jesus. She knew Jesus. And she knew that when Jesus starts saying and telling you to do stuff, you just do it. And as you do what Jesus tells you to do, amazing things begin to happen, even in situations where it looks like the wine's run out. There's no hope. There's no future. <coughs> as we follow Jesus, wonderful things happen. So I wonder whether for some of us uh, this afternoon, actually, you might be in that situation where actually you have to rise up a little bit in, in a kind of leadership capacity. Some of you in your workplace, your home life or in church life, maybe, you know, after church, you got to set the tables up or something like that. There's that kind of place where actually we need to kind of own what needs to happen and kind of use our leadership skills to do that. So maybe there's some of you that kind of calling of leadership is beginning to kind of uh, develop and you've got to realise some of it is really about the practical things that need to get done. Some of you in your workplaces carry particular responsibility, I know. Or maybe for some of us, it's on a deeper level as well. It's about actually realising the wine is running out, that things in my life aren't going well. I, you can kind of feel that, can't you, really, with our nation at the moment, that the, the wine is running out, that things aren't working, that things are breaking. And it might be this afternoon that we go with a prayer in our hearts to say, you know, Lord Jesus, we really want um, the, your wine, as it were, your life, your goodness. Because the beauty of this passage is that Jesus takes water. He just takes kind of everyday stuff that thankfully all of us have access to in the UK. No, it's not true around the world. And he takes that and he turns it to something wonderful and joyful. And that is the snippet of the gospel, that Jesus takes the ordinary, everyday stuff, the things that William Barclay spoke about and repeats it and brings wonderful joy into our lives. So this afternoon, I don't know where you're at and I'm, you know, I'm not there, so I can't sense the, mo the mood of the, the moment. But I wonder whether for some of us, it's that coming to that place of saying, you know, the wine is running out in my workplace. There's a real pressures in my workplace now. And we really need the presence of Jesus. Or the wine is running out in my family. It's, it's a really, not literally wine running out. You understand what I mean? It's that life-giving joy is running out in my family life or running out in my friendship groups or running out in my marriage. And I need the presence of Jesus. So I wonder whether together that we might respond to that this afternoon and invite Jesus into our lives and acknowledge the kind of leadership challenge that we have at the moment in our own lives and in our country and pray again for Jesus to turn what is kind of ordinary situations and desperate situations into places of kind of joy and love. So let's pray together. 
Loving God, thank you um, for this wonderful promise that you change water into wine, that you bring joy out of kind of mundane situations. And I pray for all of us now as we respond that we might invite you into our lives again, whether it's the first time today, Lord, or hundredth time. And I pray, Lord, for situations we face where we feel like the wine is running out, that things are tough. I pray, Lord, that we'd give them to you and see you turn ordinary situations into something wonderful and beautiful. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.